Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills. It is so good to be with you all today, and I am just really proud of you for being here. Because if I wasn't teaching, I'm not sure if I would be here. I, I, no, I, I would have been. But uh, one thing I was excited about since we were in this series talking about heaven is that I am pretty sure, and I don't have any biblical support for this, but I'm pretty sure that there will never be a day where we will wake up and the thermometer will say five. I'm really excited about that. I'm also going to be in the Amazon in about a week with Justice and Mercy International, and Pastor Jeff texted me this morning, and he said, hey, we're going from five to uh, probably close to 100 next week. So I would like to also think that we won't wake up and see 100 either. So I don't know what the perfect temperature is for you, but the Lord knows, and I have to imagine he'll give us a little bit of a range. I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm so excited to be here, and as we've been in this series on heaven, Today, our third in the series, we're going to be talking about what are we going to do in heaven. Now, there is not a whole, whole lot in Scripture that tells us specifically all the things we're going to do or how all of it's going to look or what it's all going to be like. But here's what I can say confidently this morning is that when we talk about heaven and when we talk about what it will be like and what types of bodies we will have and what we will be doing and who will be there, it is meant to be a source of hope, a source of encouragement. In fact, Paul, in the book of First and Second Thessalonians, he talks about uh, the fact that we will have these resurrection bodies and how we will meet the Lord in the air. And as he's talking about all of that, at the end of that passage, he says, comfort one another with these words. So when we talk about heaven, it is meant for us to bring hope. So some of you may have come in today and you may be heavy hearted. There might be loss, suffering of some sort, grief, physical ailment emotional ailment, mental hardship, broken relationships, and you've come in heavy-hearted. And I want you to know that John, who penned Revelation, had us in mind and people who are struggling in mind when he wrote this because most uh, New Testament scholars believe that John wrote at the very end of the first century under the Roman emperor Domitian. Now, that might not mean a lot to us today, but Domitian was an evil, evil emperor. Think the likes of Hitler. And he was persecuting Christians. And the Christians of that day, when John penned this, were facing unimaginable uh, suffering. Unim- they, they were being impaled. They were being uh, hung out to uh, die in the middle of stadiums in front of people. It was suffering that you and I cannot even imagine And in the middle of all of that, John writes some of these visions that he has about what will one day be for the encouragement, for the hope of the believer. And so my prayer today has been that, Lord, if there's anybody that has come in this morning that is hurting, that is struggling, that is anxious, that is worried, that you and I would leave with a greater sense of hope today because of what God's word says. 
So I want to kind of at the very top sort of give you my thesis, if you will, for this message. You can tell that I've been in seminary the last four years and I have to like have a lot of these theses uh, written and I, I really don't like them. But then when it came to message time, I thought, now what is my thesis? Okay, so here it is basically that in heaven we will have a physical body in a physical city where we will work, worship, reign, feast with God and with one another forever. Okay, that, that's kind of what we're going to be unpacking in this time together today. We're going to have physical bodies in, a, in an actual city, and we're going to do all of these delightful things with God and with one another. And, and so that's what we're, we're going to look like. Now, that, that might be kind of long. The good news is it's in your worship guide, so you've got it. And we're going to unpack that as we go. So the first thing that I want to talk about is this physical body. And the reason I want to talk about the fact that we're going to have bodies is because I do think that that impacts what we will do. You know, when we think about what we will do, we are used to a physical body. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how a seed goes into the ground and it has to die for it actually to be resurrected and live. So if you throw a tomato seed into the ground, that seed goes in with a certain body, it dies, and it is resurrected, in a sense, with a different body, but of the same kind. So a tomato will come out, that's the new body, but it is still in keeping with the tomato seed that went into the ground. It's, I, I'm not going to put a tomato seed in the ground and get an eggplant. Now, if I could do that, I'd probably be really wealthy, but I've not figured out how to do that kind of uh, genetic engineering. So it's in keeping with the kind, but it's a little bit different. And so Paul is explaining that in some way, we, when we get to heaven and when the new heavens come, when Jesus comes and brings the new heavens and the new earth, that somehow we're going to have this body that's in keeping in some sense with the body that we have, but resurrected, but new, but different. And so let's look at how he describes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. He says this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. We are sown in corruption... We are raised in incorruption. We are sown in dishonor. We are raised in glory. We are sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So in other words, what Paul is saying is we're going to go, we die broken, weak, struggling, corruptible, but we are going to be raised incorruptible in power and in glory. But we die a natural body, but we will be raised a spiritual body. Now, sometimes we take that, and I think mistakenly, to think that we will be raised without a body. We will just be raised a spirit. He doesn't say that. He says a spiritual body. Uh, one scholar says that perhaps it would be better translated that we die a natural body, raised a supernatural body. But we will, be, we will have some sort of a physical body. And so I like that thinking because it brings continuity between our life here on earth and our life when heaven comes to earth. So we can really start to grasp a little bit. Now what that body is going to look like, I don't know. I can't tell you that part. But we will have some sort of a body that will rec we will recognize one another. We will be able to identify one another. Now, I remember growing up, and, and pastors or speakers, teachers would talk about this particular text, and they would talk about, oh, they can't wait for this new body because, 
you know, they, they uh, you know, and I, by the way, when I was listening to these messages, I was probably like 18, 25, 28, like some of you in this room, and they would go on and on about like, oh, I used to be able to see, and now I need these glasses, and I used to be able to run, and now my back hurts, and I had to get a hip replacement, and, and man, I used to be able to eat pizza, and now I have to work out for an hour because I had extra cucumber at lunch, and, you know, and I remember sitting there, and I just thought, gosh, you guys need to get it together. Like, you got to pull yourself to get, like, I don't, it can't be that bad. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, but just figure it out, right? And now here I am in the prime of middle age, the pinnacle of my middle age body. And I get it. I get everything that they were talking about. And now I'm like, yes, a new body raised in power and glory. But even more so than that, to not be fighting my sin nature to not be fighting my, my fleshly nature and, and all of the things that come along with that, that all of that will be renewed. So we'll have this body, which I think is super exciting. Uh, who we are and what it will look like brings continuity to our understanding of heaven. So now I want us to turn to Revelation 21. So we know we're going to have a body, but what is the place going to look like? Because the place, what heaven will look like, also tips us off a little bit to what we will be doing. In other words, if I tell you that you're going to the beach tomorrow, you are not going to bring your snowsuit, right? If I tell you that tomorrow you're going to go to Canada and you're going to ski for a week, you're not going to bring your swimsuit because place tells us something about what kinds of activities we will be doing. Now, how much of what John is writing about is metaphor versus not I will leave that to the scholars, but boy, let me tell you, there is a lot of really tangible pieces and pictures that we can actually touch and feel that is very familiar to us in this passage about what the place will be like, which I think impacts what we will do. So this is Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Remember that John is writing to a group of people who are suffering, who are hurting, who are wounded, and he writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away, then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right because these Words are faithful and true. Aren't we so glad that these words are true? All right, so this is what John's writing. What I want you to see about place, which impacts what we will do, is that notice he says, I am seeing a holy city. 
coming down. We think about, and Nick, uh, Pastor Nick talked about this last week, we have this misconception of us flying off to heaven someplace, but when Jesus comes the second time and the resurrection of the dead get their new bodies and, and whoever is alive at the time is swept up and given their new bodies, there will be a city that is, is going to come and, and this city is a holy city. So there will be no sin, there will be no corruption, there will be nothing like that. Think about what you know about cities. Um, I was just in New York City right before Christmas, and why do people go to New York City at Christmas time? Because they want to eat, and they want to see shows, and they want to shop, and they want to experience cultures. My friend Mary Catherine and I, we were walking through uh, Central Park, and I heard all manner of languages, which we'll get to in just a moment. But we, we love cities because the people, the culture, the food, the festivities, the sports, the entertainment, will all of those things be in heaven? Maybe. Uh, there are some scholars that say absolutely yes. I'm not a scholar. I'm a Bible teacher. <laughs> so I'm going to come and just say, hey, what does a city say? And this isn't just John talking about a city. Abraham, the, the author of Hebrews, says that Abraham all the way back, way back in the Old Testament, says that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So there's something about the fact that we started in a garden that will be at some point a city garden or a garden city, but it will be perfect, it will be beautiful, it will be new, there will be no corruption, there will be, there will be nothing that can uh, ruin it, it will be incredible. So that's the first thing is that we see city, which kind of tells us a little bit about some of the things that we might be doing. And then he also says the new, he calls it the new Jerusalem. Why the new Jerusalem? Well, again, if you've got to go back into your Old Testament, and where did God meet with his people? He met with them in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was where God filled that, where his glory, with it, where his presence was, and the people would come in, and they would meet with the living God in the temple. And um, the, the Lord was also in the city of Jerusalem. That is where he communed with his people. And so when John says that this is going to be a new Jerusalem, I love this. It's the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel and to all of humanity. So all of the promises that God has made to us are going to be fulfilled through Christ in that new city of Jerusalem. But it's not just a city, and it's not just holy, and it's not just the fulfillment of all of the promises, but it is also, and John's mixing a lot of metaphors here, it is also a bride. He says it's like a bride being prepared for the bridegroom, for Christ. And so this city that is coming, um, is, it's, it's all of the believers in Christ who have been made righteous in him. Earlier in Revelation, it talks about these righteous garments. Guess what? That we are given to wear. And because of the, the sacrifice of the Lord, we get to be in heaven in this new city together. So we are a people. So the city is not just a place, it's a, it's a people that is being prepared. And I want us to see that today, that heaven is about people as much as it is about place. And that reality should impact the kinds of things that we do. Because there's going to be a lot of people and it's going to be a city of some sort, or there's going to be some sort of physical space, at the very least, that we will be occupying, and we will be relating to one another. Uh, some of you might have 
uh, picked up where John says that the sea will be no more. And you might have gotten a little sad because maybe you're sea people. Maybe you just love to go by the water, by the sea. And I, I just want to encourage your hearts today that I, I do think that he's talking metaphorically because in the Old Testament, the sea was known as a place where ships sunk, where wrecks happened, where people drowned, where there were unpredictable storms. Sea in the Old Testament represents chaos. And so it's very likely that John is not talking that there won't be physical water, because we will see that there will be water. There are other allusions to it. But that all of the chaos, the darkness, all that is wrong with this world will be no more. You might have also noticed that part, and it's very famous, but he says where every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more crying. There will be no more grieving. There will be no more death. Um, you know, we're talking about what will we do in heaven, but heaven is also a lot about what we won't be doing. And we will not be at the hospital. We, we will not be at the bedside of children who are terminally sick. We, we will not be in divorce court. We will not be at grave sites. We will not be sitting in uh, homes contemplating ending our life, or we will not be so sad that we wonder how we will go on. There are lots of things that we will not be doing in heaven, which is in some ways just as encouraging as what we will be doing. One thing that we can know about what we will be doing in heaven is that, for one thing, everything bad will be gone and everything good will be incomprehensibly better. So all of the bad things that we are about in life, all of the things that give us um, hardship as we go about our work, all of that will be gone. But everything that we love and know that is good, all of the things that we love about this life that are purely good and that bring the Lord glory, they will be incomprehensibly better. How is this possible? How is it possible that the death and the crying and the tears and all of this will be wiped away? Well, John says because he heard a voice. And I love this. He said there was one seated on the throne. Jesus on the throne and says, look, I am making all things new. Now, this is really important for us to also see, and this is in your worship guide. God is not making all new things in heaven. He's making all things new. And that should tip us off to a little bit of what heaven will be like. He doesn't say, hey, look, all of this death and dying and grief will be gone because I'm making everything, all things, I'm just making all new things, brand new things, brand new people, brand new stuff, brand new, everything is new. No, he says, I'm making all things new. I, I, the, C.S. Lewis says that God loves matter because he created matter. He created a garden. He created the earth. He created the skies, the universe. He created us. He's, he's not wholesale wiping all of that away and, and starting over from scratch, completely new. He's, he's renewing. He's making all the things new. I, what that is going to mean and all that, I don't totally know. But what I do see is that there's some continuity here between the life that we have and what will be. And I'm excited about that. And I want to pay attention to that. Um, there's a, uh, 
there's a show that I talked about in the first service, and it's a show that I love. It's called All Creatures Great and Small. Anybody? Just anyone. Okay. Thank you for the four of us in the room. Uh, it is based on a book series about a veterinarian who is in, I think he came from Scotland to England. He's kind of wacky, and he deals with animals way back. This is right before World War II, so it takes, it's a period place. And the, the series is on PBS, Masterpiece Theater, and it's based off of the book. We're in season four, just in, a, in case anybody's curious. So if you haven't watched it, you've got lots of binge watching to, keep, to catch up on. But it is about this, this man, his brother, some other stragglers. They all live together at the veterinary. Um, it, and they, they help the animals. They help subdue the earth around them in all of the best ways. They take care of the people um, and the animals' people. And then they take care of the people who own the animals. Because as the vet says often, it's not really the animals that are a problem. It's the people that own the animals that are really your biggest headache. And it is just so lovely, and they eat together. And yes, they have some problems here, but they solve them. And there's community, and there's fellowship, and there's beautiful landscape. The grass is greener on this show. The clouds are whiter. The sky is bluer. It's just absolutely fabulous. And every single year when this show comes out, it comes out in January, it runs about seven or eight episodes, and every single time I get so excited. It doesn't matter what is going on in my life. If you will just give me one hour of all creatures, great and small, I just, I just feel better. And I feel like heaven has just come home to my heart. And my friends will say, Kelly, it's a little slow, and things wrap up a little bit and too easily, and, you know, everything, it just ties up. And I'm like, exactly, exactly. Everything is as it should be on all creatures, great and small. And I realized that instead of chastising myself about why I feel so good about that show, I realized when I was studying for this message that I love the show because it tugs on all of the things that I am longing for in my heart that the Lord God himself put in my heart, which is feasting, community, celebration, fellowship, reigning over God's creation, not in an oppressive way, but in all the right ways, but Here's where the show can't compete, is we're going to see that the very living God himself will be in the middle of the city. <laughs> and this is where it's all just going to go to a place that I, is unimaginable. So if you'll turn over to Revelation 22, I want to read just the first five verses as we begin to think about what does this reigning and this ruling and this working, what will all of this look like when it comes to what we will be doing well, John says at the top of 22, he says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. And there will no longer be any curse the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever. 
when I read this passage, one of the first things that I notice are all the things that I passed on the way here, getting here this morning, things like trees, leaves, city, streets, fruit, rivers, water, a throne, all these things that we are, that are familiar to us, that we can get our minds around. And John is painting this picture of this renewed earth, this restored place, almost as if we are back at the Garden of Eden, but it is, it is, it is new, it is expanded. And so there are all of this familiar imagery that we see, but in the middle of this city or in the city is the throne of God and the Lamb sitting on his throne. Why does John refer to the Lamb? Why doesn't he just say Jesus or the Messiah or the Savior? Why is it that the Lamb is sitting on the throne? Well, again, if you go back to the Old Testament, remember that in order to enter the temple to meet with the Lord, or even into the tabernacle, the people would have to bring a sacrifice. They had, so, they had to show that they were atoning for their sin in some way. And so they would bring this lamb that was very, very dear to them, very special to them. And if you watch All Creatures Great and Small, you'll see how important pets are or animals are to their owners. And so they would bring this lamb, and the lamb would be slaughtered for the atonement, be sacrificed for the atonement of the people. But when you get to the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. So if you came in today and you're like, Kelly, I don't qualify for that city. I don't qualify to be doing that kind of amazing, like, fellowship with people and feasting and working and reigning. I don't qualify. You know what? None of us do. And that is why the Lamb is going to be on the throne because the Lamb is the one who made the atonement. Jesus made the atonement for our sin, gave us the robes of righteousness to wear and that is why we will be able to be in this glorious city, in this glorious place with no suffering and no sickness where we will be doing all manner of things. Well, it also says that there's this tree of life on both sides. Now, remember the tree of life was in the original Garden of Eden. And it is bearing fruit. And, and we see that there will be satisfaction, uh, uh, endless bounty of food and of nourishment for us. Now, we live in a very affluent society, and, and we, you know, we, it's about to snow, and we all go to the grocery store, and, and we're just like, we really feel nervous if, like, we only got one gallon of milk instead of five. You know, we, we live in a, in a place of affluence, so this passage may not mean as much to us, but when I'm in the Amazon next week, and I see a lot of the pastors and their wives, and they're going to be talking about, in, inevitably, no question about it, we'll be talking about the many days over the past year that they woke up and there was not food. And they couldn't find fish and they couldn't find fruit on the trees. That when you read a passage like this and you say, hey, there's going to be a day where there's this tree of life and it's going to have fruit on it and it's going to be forever and it's going to be plentiful and we're going to be nourished and we're never going to have to worry about it. I can guarantee you there'll be many people in the audience at that moment that'll say, Gloria Deus! Glory to God! And they will be shouting out because they will be looking forward to this day of, of absolute nourishment. And then did you see that the leaves of the trees will be for the healing of the nations? Oh, that tells us something about what we might be doing in heaven, is that nations will be there. There is no reason to believe that nations will be eliminated. They will be renewed. They will be restored. 
Um, I love the idea that there will be ethnicities and races and languages in heaven. I will be really sad if Gigi's not speaking French to me sometimes. Like, that will make me sad. I, we, the, the cultures, everything that we love about that, we see that, that some of this is, that, that pieces of this are here in a renewed way. But there won't be nations at war against one another. There won't be oppression. But there will be all of these cultures and beauty coming together. And we see, too, that the, the name of the Lord will be on our foreheads. And that might see, strike us as a little weird, like, wait, what, what does that mean? But that's the Lord identifying his people. And we think sometimes we read this stuff as weird. But you know what I was thinking as I was preparing this week? Has anybody been watching the uh, wild card playoff games? Do you see what people dress up as to identify with their team? Have you guys seen the people that in negative 10 degree weather don't have clothes on and have, are painted in the color of their team? What are they doing? They're identifying with a team. They have crazy stuff that they're wearing, and the television cameras always find those people. And this is the Lord, though, identifying with us, saying, you are mine. I have sacrificed for you, and you are mine, and we are going to be fellowshipping together. But did you see also that it says that we will be worshiping him and I, his servants will worship him in verse 3 I just want to, to just put this at rest this does not mean that we will be singing the top Christian 100 worship songs for the rest of eternity that's not what this is talking about this idea of serving the Lord he goes all the way back to well it really goes back to even before the fall but at the exodus what does uh, God say to Moses let my people go so that they might what worship me but what does that word also mean? In fact, the word might even be in your Bible as serve. We're going to be the Lord's servants. We're going to be busy doing stuff. Why? Because all the way back again in Genesis 1, 27 through 28, the Lord God made them male and female, and he blessed them. And what did he do? He set them over to reign and to rule over this earth. That was before the fall. God gave Adam and Eve work to do before the fall. We think work and we're like, oh, I don't want to work. We don't like work because it's cursed. <laughs> we don't like work because, it, because we're, we, our work is after the fall. This is going to be redeemed and renewed, which means that we're going to be able to bring to bear our passions and our skills and our personalities and our desires over creation. And then at the end, I don't know if you caught it, but it says in verse 5 that we will reign with him forever and ever. See, this is really important. We need to be practicing reigning and ruling, not in the oppressive way, not in the selfish way, not in the prideful way, but in the way that we are bringing renewal and redemption to bear on this earth. We need to be practicing for heaven. Randy Alcorn, who wrote the book of heaven, he says, Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He is preparing us for that place. Are you right now preparing for that place by learning how to be a good worshiper, a good worker, a good servant, a good person who reigns, but in all the best ways and in all the right words, ways. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't store up treasure here on earth where moth comes in and rust corrupts. Store up treasure in heaven. How do we do that? By practicing, by, go, by doing it now. By living our lives for the Lord now. 
And, and there are a couple of different parables, one in Matthew 25, one in Luke 19, where Jesus talks about this, this ruler who went to a faraway country and he gave someone a little bit of, of um, you know, money or resources to govern, somebody a little bit more, whatever. And when he comes back, to those who invested wisely, to those who served their master wisely, he said, you know what, I put you in charge of a little and you were faithful. So now I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. And you know what a lot of scholars believe that Jesus is talking about what we're going to be in charge of in heaven. And that should be exciting but also sobering. That we don't just like party it up here and do whatever we want here and then just like cruise into heaven. That's not, yes, it is a free gift, but hey, listen, how we spend our time on earth will impact how we spend our time in heaven. And so we need to be responsible here. Now, I'm not saying we don't earn our salvation. We already talked about that. That's the Lamb of God has given us that. But what, what we will be reigning and ruling and working and how we will be doing that, boy, we need to be working now and practicing now in a sense. Um, I will close be, by uh, saying this, that God created us from the very beginning to worship, work, reign, feast, and fellowship Heaven will not be boring. Heaven will not be boring. And so many of the things that we love and that we long for here will be so incomprehensibly better there. And we are not going to be just floating around doing nothing. We are not going to be twiddling our thumbs. It is going to be a real place, and we are going to have real bodies, and there are going to be real people there. And God himself will be satiating our souls and our spirits and there will be feasting and fellowshipping and it's going to be awesome and it should give us hope for how we live our lives now. There's a story as told of an old missionary named Samuel Morrison who after 25 years in Africa was returning to the United States. He and his wife, they were elderly and they were basically returning to the U.S. to die after putting in their service. As it so happened, he traveled home on the same ocean liner that brought President Teddy Roosevelt back from a hunting expedition. When the great ship pulled into the New York Harbor, the dock where it was to tie up was jammed with what looked like the entire population of New York City. Bands were playing, banners were waving, choirs of children were singing, multicolored balloons were floating in the air, flashbulbs were popping, and newsreel cameras were poised to record the return of the president. Mr. Roosevelt stepped down the gangplank to thunderous cheers and applause, showered with confetti and ticker tape. If the crowd had not been restrained by ropes and police, he would have been mobbed. At the same time, Samuel Morrison and his wife quietly walked off the boat. No one was there to greet them. Samuel slipped alone through the crowd, and because of the crush of people there to welcome the president, he couldn't even find a cab. Inside his heart, he began to grieve. Lord, the president has been in Africa for three weeks killing animals, and the whole world turns out to welcome him home. We've given 25 years of our lives in Africa serving you. No one has greeted me or even knows I'm here. No one has welcomed me home. And in the quietness of his heart, 
He heard the Lord speak, oh, but my dear child, you are not yet home. This is not it. And John has written to us to remind us that this is not it. And what we have coming is beyond compare. So let's live prepared for, preparing for it. What John wrote is also faithful and true. Lord, I just thank you. Lord, that there is a coming a day where we will be in your presence. Lord, it will be beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. And yet, some of it actually might be what we imagine. Because there are so many familiar things that you say about heaven. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that we would encourage one another with these words. And that you will make us a prepared people for the place that you have prepared for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.